the city itself uh, is a challenge to any attempt to understand space-time relations. Um, I wanted you to see this view partly because you see the phantasmagoric modern architecture vying for attention with very deliberately traditionalizing motifs. That would not be surprising in any major city. But as you will see, these become parts of everyday struggles in very small groups of people, um, and therefore much more accessible to anthropological analysis than simply uh, one would simply be able to, to understand by looking at, at a photograph like this. Um, and Bangkok is also a place uh, that uh, encapsulates many different kinds of people. This view, uh, taken from a fairly modern um, hotel in, in the center of the business district, uh, shows a, a, a mosque. Uh, there are many different groups of Muslims living in Bangkok um, and elsewhere in Thailand, of course, including uh, Muslims from the Malay-speaking south of the country itself, uh, some of uh, particularly Bengali origin. There are Chinese Muslims particularly living in Chiang Mai, but also a few, I think, in Bangkok and so on. And I mention them because, again, in this tiny community that we're going to look at for most of this lecture, um, there are also two Muslim families. So the bland face of Thai nationalism, which uh, basically says we are one country united under a single monarch uh, and the Buddhist religion uh, is our guiding principle, uh, sits a little bit contradictorily with the other thing that Thais often both officially and unofficially say about their country, which is that what distinguishes them is the extraordinary degree of social variety uh, and cultural variety inside the country. And Thailand is in many ways a country of great contrast and great contradictions, of tremendous tension, for example, between authoritarian bureaucratic governance uh, and very strong democratic impulses and egalitarian impulses leading to such movements as the assembly of the, of the poor in the 1990s, which was really an attempt to try to dismantle the class system. And in, in fact, the recent struggles between the red shirts and the yellow shirts, of which I'm sure you're all aware, uh, is again an expression of these kinds of, of tensions between opposing uh, tendencies in the Thai polity. And, of course, the traditionalizing has its very attractive aspect. We're now moving very close to the community I'm going to be talking about. This is an area that is, if the phrase doesn't seem too sacrilegious, lousy with temples. Um, the photograph is taken from the, um, the temple of the Golden Mount, Watsake, and it is um, across to the, the river and the old royal palace and so on. Um, but right next to it is uh, another monument we'll see in a moment. First of all, just a few terms. The bureaucratic administration of Bangkok is in uh, the hands of something called the Bangkok Metropolitan Administration, often referred to as BMA, simply, or Kotomo in Thai, and I will use those terms interchangeably, so I thought it was worth warning you. The Ratanakosin Island Project is a project designed to restore the old dynastic capital of the Thai kingdom, of the old Siamese kingdom. Uh, the uh, Ratanakosin term is associated with the currently reigning Chakri dynasty. Um, and the project was part of the military's attempt initially to bring to Thailand a greater respect from, for the monarchy than it had had up to that point. We're talking really about an emergent feeling that the monarchy needed to be restored to its former dignity, especially in the 1950s and 60s. And of course, the success of that venture uh, is very clear. If you speak to any Thai, even a Thai who isn't nervous about being sued for les majestés, uh, most of them will tell you, we respect our king. And I think for most of them, that statement is quite sincere. Um, there are, however, rumblings of very different views of the monarchy, and the recent conflicts between the red and the yellow shirts have also put into question, I think, whether the monarchy can survive if the country democratizes further. But, of course, nobody dares talk about it, because if your political enemies hear about it, they will report you for les majestés. 
And it's a very curious law because, in fact, it isn't the state that starts the prosecution. It starts as a civil accusation, which is then picked up by the police. But since it can land you in jail for 15 years, uh, it's a, a very dangerous weapon indeed. Now, the Ratanakosin Island project, which began by being concerned with the old dynastic capital, ended by a series of stages becoming a committee that was responsible for the maintenance of the monumental antiquities of the entire country, and thereby got a grip on the, uh, on the lived areas of all of the uh, cities with significant uh, old quarters. Within the Ratanakosin area, the sometimes called Ratanakosin Island, Kwa Ratanakosin, uh, the little community of Pomahakan, uh, about 300 people as, as we speak, uh, might seem like a rather insignificant part of the whole, which numbers tens of thousands of inhabitants. Uh, the short explanation for its significance uh, is that unlike almost all of the other communities in the area, and depending on how you count, there are between 22 and 28 of them, uh, all with fairly clearly defined uh, local identities, Pong uh, Mahakan, the Mahakan Fort, uh, is, uh, has been very successful even though it was despised by the authorities and indeed by many of the middle class communities alike as being uh, poor and consisting of poor and uneducated people accused of being prostitutes, drug addicts and so on, it's actually been extraordinarily successful in A, dispelling those rumors, B, demonstrating a remarkable capacity for self-governance, we'll see some of that, um, and C, and most remarkably, for 19, now nearly 20 years, successfully resisting the BMA's attempts to evict the entire community. And the BMA's desire to evict the entire community rests on the BMA's insistence. This is a historic site. The citadel itself, which we'll see in a moment, um, is part of the original circumvallation of the old city put up by the first king of the present dynasty. Um, and uh, uh, there's also a marble house right on the canal uh, behind the fort, uh, which was a resting place for kings awaiting the royal barge, which would come up the, the canal under the, uh, under the Panfar Bridge. Um, so it has significance for the national historiography, but it also, uh, as it turns out, is one of the most uh, notorious or famous, depending on how you look at it, places of contest between the authorities uh, and a local community. Because basically, the community says, hell no, we won't go. They simply stuck their feet in and said we were offered compensation under a law that set this up so that the place itself would become a public park in honor of Her Majesty the Queen. But the compensation proved to be too little to support them in any way uh, in uh, a move to another place. The BMA failed to come up with any plan to move them collectively that would satisfy them. And in the meantime, they made alliances with a series of NGOs and increasingly with academics. So that a community of relatively poorly educated people has actually managed to engage the respect and attention of many academics. I'm not the only one by any means, and quite a few of them are Thai, uh, which is also very significant, and we'll meet one of them later in the story. Um, and uh, as a result, the BMA doesn't really quite know what to do. They have bought time, and they use the phrase, which means to buy time. Um, and it's a phrase that you will hear in other communities as well. But their particular sense of buying time is making a certain kind of investment of effort to stave off what the BMA keeps claiming is the inevitable chucking out of the whole community. So... Let's look at the place itself. This is the bottom of the, the fort, the fortress, um, and you see that the BMA has gusted it up with various forms of, of lighting, um, and uh, they chase the inhabitants out. Uh, the inhabitants used to hold rituals up there to raise money for them to do the restoration that was necessary. And as you'll see in a moment, they're much more competent in these matters than uh, anybody the BMA could bring into play. I should tell you that the National Fine Arts Department is at odds with the BMA because it actually believes that the monument would be better looked after if the residents were allowed to stay there. 
but the Fine Arts Department does not have jurisdiction over land that was sequestered under eminent domain by the BMA. So that's the, the practical problem. And you begin to see why, after a hesitant start of being involved in such matters in Rome, when I started doing fieldwork in, in Bangkok, it became increasingly difficult to resist the siren song of get involved. Um, so um, it really was a fortress. There was always a fear of invasion from various uh, enemies. But at the same time, although it's a distinctively local style of architecture, you can also see the European overtones. And Thailand, I want to emphasize, is what I call a crypto colony. It's something it has in, in common with Greece. That is, it's never been part of the Western colonial system officially but its culture had to be managed. And I, I'm talking about the management of, of culture in a very public way, and it had to be managed uh, in ways that especially the French and the British and later the Americans dictated if the country was not to be invaded militarily. So, um, and we could perhaps in the discussion uh, revisit this notion of crypto-colonialism, and I will show you that there's a whole series of events uh, running uh, from the middle of the 19th century to the present in both Greece and Thailand, which show a remarkable degree of similarity, so much so that I sometimes joke that we really ought to start a, a center for southeastern studies and you know, not worry about which continent it's on. Um, inside, or rather in, on the outside of the wall, but on the inside of the community, which lies between this wall um, and a... Um, uh, and a, uh, uh, a canal, the canal that I mentioned earlier, um, we see uh, very normal activity, people preparing for a meeting. The community holds meetings to discuss its problems between once and three times a week. And even though the BMA formally withdrew recognition uh, from Pamahakan as a real community, uh, they continue... Uh, to act in ways that I think put the attempts of the official structure to have something like representative democracy to shame. Um, I'm making no secret of my preferences, but it does come out of, they do come out of long discussions, not only with the residents, but also with the bureaucrats themselves. Um, and one of the most frustrating conversations I had with a bureaucrat um, was a fellow who said to me, well, look, you know, they're not really a community at all. I said, what do you mean? They, they, some of them are squatters, but they aren't all, and they've come to live together, and they have a strong feeling of identity. And as an anthropologist, I feel that people who want to live together and have done so for, in some cases, several decades, should be allowed to consider themselves a community, if that's what they say they are. Oh, no, he said, very condescendingly. Here in Thailand, what we mean by a community is a group of people whose identity has grown out of a single profession. So paper umbrella makers or begging bowl makers. And there are such villages and neighborhoods, but they certainly, that's certainly not true of all. So I said to my uh, interlocutor, well, you know, I find this very strange because here in Thailand you always talk so much about the cultural diversity of the country. When I came back to the community and reported on this conversation, uh, the reaction was, first of all, somewhat amused, um, because, of course, they know perfectly well, they feel very confident that they have a, com a communal identity. Um, and I, at one point, I, I was saying, and I emphasized this notion of cultural diversity, but he didn't seem to listen. Within 24 hours, I was hearing the phrase, cultural diversity, on the lips of quite a few of the residents who had also shown a remarkable ability to learn NGO speak as well. So here are these rather chameleon-like characters who can absorb the discourse of officialdom, including the, the royal uh, mantle and the royal uh, vision of the country, if you will, um, and half of whom at least are very committed royalists anyway, um, who can pick up NGO talk and they can certainly speak like anthropologists after a very short period of time. It's actually, a, a, I think, a rather appropriately humbling experience when it suddenly comes played back at you in what turned out to be a very perceptive way. Now, uh, I'm not usually in favor of pictures of myself, but I wanted to give you a sense that 
my engagement with the community was from the very beginning somewhat activist and I was interested in filming and they were able to use some of my films for example when they needed to be able to say that they had evidence of their democratic procedures in order to get the uh, United Nations Commission on Cultural, Economic and Social Rights in Geneva to write a letter of protest to the Thai government um, which by the way caused great annoyance in the BMA because they cc'd it to His Majesty the King which meant that the BMA couldn't criticize it, of course. But again, an interesting moment, because the man in the blue suit in the center is the the president, was at that time the president of the city council of Bangkok, therefore the elected body that supposedly um, tries to control the BMA, which is a body of civil servants, except for the governor who's elected. And uh, this is the president of the community, uh, a youngish man, his family had been there for at least three generations, so he had some real claim. And what's interesting here is that he's proposing to the uh, politician that he should support the community members in their desire to create in this space something that would be both a public park, certainly in honor of Her Majesty, but also a place where people could live and where this community could subsist. Now, to cut to a very different argument just for a second, I have always felt that this community was actually producing a model that would export quite well. And therefore, if the Thai authorities had any sense, uh, and some of them do, and some of them have said things like this, they should, and that's partly why the community is able to buy time, because the BMA can't simply get away with just making arbitrary decisions, even when it's supported by the law courts. But there is a project here for combining the greening of the lungs of the city, as it were, uh, with uh, the problem of what you do with pieces of the population who have demonstrated a certain capacity for self-governance. Here we go. I just want to um, show you very briefly what happens when the community feels that it's been crossed. And the short version of this, this is one of the very first months that I was working with the community. They suddenly said to us one day, if you want to see how we defend ourselves when we think the BMA is about to attack, they have guards all the way around, so they're prepared at any moment. Come before dawn tomorrow, because we think they're going to attack. Now, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. They don't usually send police in. They usually send paid mafia-type booms uh, who come in and try and burn down the houses and smoke us out, but we're ready for them. And then one of them said, well, but maybe you shouldn't come, it might be dangerous. Well, you say that to an anthropologist. So, of course, we were there at quarter to four, and this is what we saw, and I was not only allowed, but encouraged to film. Um, yeah, let's see, here we go, and I can get this nice and big. Um, what you're seeing, what you see right here, is people... I mean, it's not great footage, I grant you, but think of the conditions. It was pitch dark. They are making nets to throw across the canal on the other side of the community so that the police couldn't send boats up to get them from behind. They also sharpened sticks, uh, which they put under the, um, uh, the inside of the wall so that anyone coming over the top would be impaled. Uh, and then they blocked all the gates with enormous amounts of rubbish um, and very heavy rubbish. Uh, so again, anyone trying to get in would probably just be buried under falling masonry. Um, when it became apparent, I think somebody, there was one person in the community who was disaffected, probably called the BMA and said, look, there's this bloody foreigner here and he's videotaping everything. They called off the attack. Um, My wife and uh, uh, the women and children were all sitting in the front. That's, of course, a very old technique of resistance. Um, And as the dawn came up, it became very apparent that nothing was going to happen. But that, if I may presume to compare myself with Clifford Goertz, was sort of my cockfight moment, because after that, you can imagine, um, it was difficult uh, for them not to be quite trusting. I mean, we put ourselves at considerable risk. And here you see there... Venturing out now with the nets, you can just see it. And these are the young boys, because they also reckoned that if the young kids got caught, they would 
really incur any very serious danger. But, but then they walked through the back. They had a lot of difficulty um, throwing that stuff over. And then later I was able to get outside again, and you can see, there they go. They sneaked out by the back entrance and took the nets there. Well, that's just one example. Okay, now we go back to... Now, the vision that the authorities had was a very... I'm sorry, it apparently requires me to go back to the beginning every time. There probably ought to be a way, but anyway, here we are. Um, the authorities' vision is a very sanitized one. You notice the crypto-colonial framing of all of this simply from the fact that the dress, and actually when they're not silhouettes, even the faces, are not Thai. They're not Asian at all. Um, but the idea is that this somehow represents authentic Thai culture, and it's going to become some sort of a park uh, that will not be lived in, but will be tended in the name of the nation-state. And at the same time, the, the surrounding areas will be filled with houses uh, and the temples that are already there. But these are the houses that the villagers, the residents, instead rather um, uh, conceived of for themselves. And you see that they also look somewhat European. So it's not as if we're dealing with a face-off between authenticity and tradition on the one side and total westernization on the other. The residents are very wily about adapting certain parts of the official discourse. And when I said to the president one day, well, suppose you succeed, isn't there a real danger that you will uh, end up simply becoming a piece of the sort of nationalistic historiography that we see in the National Museum of Bangkok, which is like all national museums in that sense? He said, we are quite aware of that danger and we'll cross that bridge essentially when we come to it, but we we don't subscribe necessarily to the whole story. Um, let's see what happens. Very willing to wait and see and adapt. The edge of the, uh, of the park down here on the canal was decorated with a sparse series of uh, white balustrades, as you've seen, um, and that was all. In the center, not only no houses and no people, but not even any trees. And this space, by the way, was noted, interestingly enough, by an architect from the Crown Property Bureau um, as a place with a lot of unusual indigenous flora. That was all going to be destroyed. So they created a lawn. And I am reminded of nothing so much as Tacitus' famous phrase about the Roman victory over the German tribes when he said they created a desert and called it peace. After half a year, all you have is muddy puddles, litter, uh, and obviously a very uncontrolled situation because there's nobody there to look after the space except the occasional workmen who come in on behalf of the BMA, but they never stay long enough or come often enough to do very much. And as a result, uh, sleeping salesmen in the nighttime with religious objects to walk around the city also take up their spaces. So you have a new squatter population that actually creates something much more off-footing to the uh, Crown Property Bureau and the other bourgeois forces that want to make this respectable than anything that the residents themselves have constructed. The residents, meanwhile, have marked a number of sacred objects, including these trees, body trees, the descendants of the tree under which the Buddha was supposed to have achieved enlightenment, marked them with home-crafted artisanal object. This is something made in the community by a man who's actually become quite famous for his ceramic work. This is a face of a, of a Buddhist ascetic. And uh, shrines um, to which are dedicated an extraordinary variety of objects. And in the bad weather, of course, they put umbrellas over them as well. And these shrines are, in a way, small models of shrines you see around the city including some of the more imposing temples, but they are shrines to the ancestors of the individual, um, uh, individual families. The king, a local, locally produced portrait, ever-present and watchful. The residents, much more watchful because they never know from one day to the next what's about to happen, but constantly engaged in meetings 
in which the only signs of an authoritarian structure are that the younger people tend to sit on the, directly on the floor. Um, a leadership that oscillates among five or six people according to the needs of the moment. This is the leader we call the funny man because he's always joking. And the point about that was that he was able to diffuse the tension when things got really difficult. Unlike this man, whom you've already seen, the community president, who was not only is quite aggressive, he even tells people that they have to disagree with him in a very aggressive way. We have to be democratic, right? Clear, my, is it clear? Wonderful use of English there, too. Um, but this, this identity card is a community police card granted to him by and to about five other men in the community um, by the National Police Force uh, in their attempt to eradicate drug selling and using. And it seems pretty clear that they managed to achieve a complete reduction to zero of the presence of drugs in the community uh, without ever resorting to the violence that more generally marred the so-called war of drugs of the first taxing government uh, in Thailand. Um, and this, despite the fact that the BMA as part of their campaign to get these people out, kept calling them drug addicts. Um, he's also a very, in many ways, a very simple person I'm simply coming back to him again and again, partly because he's the person I ended up getting to know best, but also because he represents, uh, in my view, uh, some of these extremes. The authoritarian manner, but he does these humble tasks uh, quite willingly. I've seen him clear up the rubbish, for example, and put it in a dumpster and so on. That's all part of the, of the, uh, of the day's work. Um, and has a very good relationship with the children, who are the best demonstration, in fact, since they run around very free, freely and look extremely clean and well cared for, that there are no negligent parents or families with serious drug problems. Uh, interestingly enough, the background, you see that cage, that's an example of Southern Thai Muslim craft. Again, think of the two families living in the community. And it's attached to a house, and we'll see the note in a moment, and I'll explain what it is, but that's the community museum. Um, there are, this, this man is laughing because he'd been trying to use a hula hoop and hadn't done very well at it. Slightly better than me, though, I must say. Um, but uh, it's these kinds of tattooed uh, bodies that, lead, that sometimes make the claims advanced by the authorities that this is a community of bandits convincing to bourgeois people who don't realize that this is simply a form of amuletic protection. This is another of the community leaders. He has a lot of experience at, uh, he's actually quite soft-spoken despite the stance you see him in there. Um, he has experience of networking with other communities around the country. Um, and it, again, you see the, the museum in the background. They're laying a new uh, paving in what has become the central square because where the lawn was created by the BMA, it was a section in front. So you have basically two sections, one large one and then one very small one. The small one had been the place where they had all of their demonstrations, various kinds of activism. That was what the army eventually came and took over. And then the BMA put in that awful lawn that ended up being such a mess. Um, they simply moved the center of operations to a smaller square in the second area where no demolition has been take, undertaken except by them, but I'll come to that in a moment. Um, and um, they have also moved the shrine. Oh, the, okay, I've mentioned these family shrines, but there's also what they call the big shrine, Sanyai. And the Sanyai has been moved from that front area where it would have been destroyed to the back area. Now, the BMA say, of course we'll destroy these shrines because they're there illegally, and after all, they are just family shrines. They have nothing to do. They're just superstitious examples of people uh, kowtowing to their ancestors rather than behaving like good Orthodox Buddhists. The residents say, this is sacrilegious because they want to destroy these and even the Bodhi trees in their pursuit of this ridiculous park. Um, and anyway, the shrines are not just our shrines. They represent the whole Thai people. And so they identify with the Thai national narrative, but in a very clever way that actually turns it on its head. Um, 
Lots of conversation always going on in this area, especially during the construction period. And the note itself, Sala Pumipanya Chunchon, the pavilion of the community's local knowledge. Now, this term, Pumipanya, uh, is quite interesting because the Thai sort of latched onto the idea of local history and local knowledge. And of course, it can become as uh, totalitarian as any government. And there's nothing that guarantees that a local version of story will be any less repressive of dissidents within the community. But this museum is a museum of internal disagreement as well as a struggle against uh, the authorities. So I think that, that what they've done has been to take the totalizing, essentializing, reifying tendencies of the state and use them instrumentally. Will they be able to retain an ironic awareness of that instrumentality? for the foreseeable future? That was the question that the president really didn't know how to answer. But he's certainly very aware that it is an issue. Now, we move to another meeting, and this is a meeting to design housing. Most of, There are seven really old houses which are beautiful examples of Thai vernacular uh, architecture from the end of the 18th century through the early 20th century. The rest of the houses are frankly slum houses. And the problem was this. They had created a rotating credit fund through which they'd amassed enough money now to start building houses for everybody in the community out of common money. But if they pulled a house down, that would be an excuse for the BMA to move in and say, okay, there's nothing there. You can't claim that you're living there anymore. We, got, we, we own that land and we're taking it. So they began very slowly demolishing one house and then building a new house, one at a time. Probably the BMA didn't even notice for the first year or two. It started in 2007, but by now they're doing it at the rate of about once, one every three months. And so uh, this is an, another way in which they are buying time. But they're also negotiating space, negotiating because now the BMA has to deal with a space that is created, that is controlled by them much more, that looks very respectable and therefore completely undermines the claims that they were making that these people are basically rubbish people, that they're bandits who live in, in a slum. Um, and they've done it with their own efforts and their own money. This is a meeting that was set up to decide who, and this is the internal negotiation, who would live next to whom and why. And very, very interesting, because you get a sense from this of how they understand in a space of three or four acres how to make adequate housing, much better sanitary conditions, and much better, more resistance against, for example, the recent floods, um, with their own money, but also with their own understanding of space. So they would have questions raised in the meetings, like, which would be more appropriate for a community like ours, row houses or individual houses? Row houses. Why? Because this, this is traditionally Thai, they said, but also because we need to live in solitary groups to continue to work together as we have since we started. And they also talked about moving some people into new locations, making various swaps, so that people would be in the economically most advantageous position for the work they did. So the laundry woman was going to get a house down on the canal where the wind blows. So she has a free dryer, essentially, except when it rains, but that's another story. Um, the, the food hawkers wanted to be near the wall so that in the early morning they could get out quickly and be more competitive with people from other communities doing the same work. Ironically, by the way, most of the, their sales were to bureaucrats because the bureaucrats wanted quick and easy lunches. That's a situation that, again, you can replicate from many countries, Pakistan, India, so on, and, and, and it's not uniquely Thai, but it's very striking that these people are being harried by the bureaucrats and nonetheless very upset that some of the services are now being decentralized because that also undercuts their economy. The construction of new objects, some of them simplified versions of so-called uh, Thai uh, illustrations, again, the president, here is the platform on which eventually they put the Sanyai, 
see, right in the middle of the community now. And a lot of this beautification was actually centered on the idea that this would now become the spiritual center of the community, since they were forced inside. And there you see again the mask on the, the ascetic's mask on the, on the remnants of the body tree. That shouldn't be there, probably the second time. Um, structures of authority. Um, the Y, which is, of course, the Hindu namaste gesture translated into uh, a Thai version, is very much, uh, it's, it's interesting, it's, it's, again, the, the, the tension between egalitarianism and hierarchy is very strong. So, on the one hand, if you see someone you greatly respect, you can do this. But to do it that high, if you're talking to somebody younger than yourself, for example, is only ironic. So, when one of my students who's tied does it to me, I'm never quite sure what game he's playing. Um, and that's, of course, the way it's intended to be. There's a lot of play. He is being respectful because the man who's coming towards him is one of the oldest residents uh, of the community for a very long time. He's also a member of the palace police. So he has royal association and gets a lot of respect. Um, but another example of this contradiction, the common term for addressing any group of people is which means literally older siblings, younger siblings, together. So it encapsulates, of course, the idea of hierarchy and, and equality in, in the same phrase. And this is the, especially the term that is used by politicians or by the community leaders, who on the one hand want to be preemie inter pares, but they also want it to be understood that they are preemie. And so uh, that's, uh, that's what that's all about. Here on the left is uh, a very distinguished archaeologist, Ajahn Patamarek, who virtually gave up his career at Tamasat University as an archaeologist to work with communities uh, facing eviction and other problems, uh, talking to the president. Uh, Ajahn Patamarek um, is now operating out of Tamasat University, a special office for community affairs, and he's a particularly fine example, I think, of the kind of Thai academic who feel indignant about what is being done to these people, and not just these people, and feel, as I do, that if you can work with a small case like that of Paul Mahakal, there is then the possibility for thinking in larger terms as well. Now, I mentioned that there was one solution that was proposed. Um, the last governor, Apirak uh, Krasayotin, is... Um, still a very prominent member of the main opposition party now. Um, he actually, partly, I confess, prodded by me, but by, also by Patamarek and others, um, decided that it would be interesting to see whether a project could be developed. And he knew, he was very close to a, uh, an architect at the Fine Arts University, and they came up with the project, and then they signed on the, on the dotted line that the town hall, the community and the um, uh, and, and the fine arts university would be involved in a reconstruction project that would allow the community to rebuild all of its houses and preserve the old ones as they should be. This was scotched by people in the BMA um, who went to the administrative court, the very high legal authority in Bangkok, and the court basically said, by definition, you cannot have a park and residents in the same space. A very nominalistic, positivistic way of dealing with the law, but this is exactly how the, um, the authorities have uh, operated. So this was when the first news of the governor's visit came. I unfortunately didn't bring uh, any of the footage of that visit, but I, in the film that I'm making about Paul Mahakad, I was fortunate enough to be there uh, when he actually showed up. And it was a very, it was an extraordinarily moving occasion. He had a great power, after all, at that point. He um, sat on very low stools, refused to make a speech uh, with a microphone, but instead invited, especially the older women in the community, whom he felt had the most experience of dealing with the everyday stress of the domestic situation, uh, to speak out. And they spoke remarkably forcefully. Uh, this is not a country where women are particularly segregated, and although their legal rights are not as great as those of men, uh, it was clear that this rather young and energetic governor was able to recognize uh, the significance 
uh, overwhelming significance of their role in the community. Uh, very briefly then, now we'll look at the, a clip of the housing of a housing meeting. I mean, these went on for days. They, I think I have um, something like 30 hours of footage from these meetings. So, just very, very typically, so the leaders standing in front, you see the models of the houses. These are all models they made themselves. They sat around and talked about what would be most appropriate. They took designs from architectural journals. They took designs from things they'd seen. And the NGO leaders, and especially an architect who gave his services for free as a form of merit-making, um, was able to uh, uh, contribute. And you see the women are really the key players in this movement. These are all people very, that right now they're listening, but they also have very strong views and, and express them. Um, so these, each one of these people up at the front is talking about the area for which he's responsible. The small communities divided into five self-governing sub-districts um, and, of course, the question is what happens when you move houses from one to another. All of that had to be negotiated. And here is Ajahn Patamarok. He was taking notes on the whole process. Um, here is one of the women who's a leader of her section. Um, sorry, it's a little jerky. There's, you know, you can imagine we're sitting in a meeting like this. You, to do the best you can, but um, talking about, I, I've got the sound turned off, but talking about, uh, um, again, the best way to maximize, and this actually is the laundry one, and so she has a real interest in getting it right and finding herself down on the canal, but she's explaining that. Well, I think this gives you a bit of a flavor, and here we go, and then a bit later we might see Yes, here we go. So they start to play with these, move these different model houses around on a very large-scale map of the community. And there, by the way, was the portrait of the king in the background. So, you know, we keep things respectable. So who's going to live with whom? What kind of houses are mutually compatible? Uh, where will the drainage go? All sorts of practical problems. Okay. Back to the PowerPoint now. I wonder if there's a way I can do this. There's only one more picture anyway, so maybe alright, I'm going to have to do it like this and I'll just run straight down. Um, well, this will help you to recap everything you've seen. <laughs> oh, but it didn't work. <coughs> Damn it. Alright, well, you, I think you can see clearly enough. So here's one of the very first buildings they tried to reconstruct. And, and actually, they're, they're rebuilding. This is, a, this is a, an old house which they wanted to preserve, but they are putting in some new parts. Later, they pulled some of the really shabby old houses down completely, but again, always one by one, very carefully. Uh, and so that was, the, um, that was the, the technique used to stave off the excessive attention of the BMA. Now, what about time and space? You can see that what's being negotiated here is who's going to use what space for what purposes. Um, and at various points, they went round taking measurements. There was a lot of interest in using original materials in the rebuilding, not because of some sense of conservation, as we might expect, for example, in this country, but because it was economically sensible. That was the only reason for doing it. But they were making inventory of all of that material. Um, in the end, uh, they got quite a bit of advice from professional architects, and some of them have relatives who are themselves professionals of one sort or another, including, fortunately, one who's a lawyer, um, and that's been very helpful. Um, but the negotiation about space is mostly about the convenience of individuals. This is a community that, through long processes of democratic and I use that word with a small d and with all sorts of guards, but certainly a participatory conversation. Now, participation is itself, of course, a term that's very easily banded around and it can be used instrumentally to mean almost exactly its own opposite. In this case, uh, well, let me put it this way. When they use the word, very Thai word, participation, 
then I know that they're really not talking about participation at all. They're using an authoritative model for which they're using an English word. When they talk about Pantsman Ruhm, or when they talk about Kanchueka, okay, participation, doing things together, Kanchueka, helping each other, using Thai words, it seems to me that that's often correlated with a much more uh, focused attention to what we as a community need. And most of the conversation, when they're alone together or with some of the more interested NGO people, including um, representatives of other poor areas in of Bangkok, um, they tend to use the Thai words only, which I think is interesting. If they're really talking about real problems they want to resolve with a minimum of discomfort uh, to uh, anyone in the community. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that there isn't disagreement. And the president, in particular, is vociferous in his demands that people should express their disagreement. There is a long tradition in Thailand of most people not expressing their disagreement openly. And in fact, people will often say, we are not a nation of leaders, we're a nation of followers. And few people who are real leaders, let them do it. But of course, as soon as a decision is made, there's a great deal of criticism. Other forms of negotiation are more subtle. And I want to mention one that particularly impressed me. Uh, one man in the community became very angry about what he thought was a totally unjust procedure, um, but he was also very drunk on both occasions. And he started screaming, which is not exactly supposed to be the way Thai people behave in public. Really angry. Um, now, if this had happened, I think, in Greece or Italy, the other places I've worked, it's almost certain that he would have been rather rudely expelled from the meeting and maybe would have found himself somehow ostracized from the community. Certainly would have taken him a long time to live it down. Unless, of course, he faced it down. And, you know, there are ways of negotiating that, too. But, but certainly there would have been a lot more high tension all around the community. Nobody looked terribly concerned. One of the community leaders, I think it was the funny man, I can check it, it's on my, I actually have a videotape of this happening amazingly, came over, put his arm on his shoulder, hand on his shoulder, and gradually began massaging him. And I should say that massage is one of the specialties of this community. He actually had some of that he just died, but he was uh, a, a grand master of massage. This was just a normal Thai massage on the shoulder, which is very common. You should try it sometime. <laughs> when uh, exams come close or whatever, you've got to defend your thesis. But anyway, um, then... Uh, pushed him a little bit towards the perimeter. And again, that meeting space that you saw on the film clips. And then stood away from him, because in Thailand, of course, touching people is a mark of intimacy, and if it's done too much, it becomes insulting. And eventually, the drunken man looked around and shrugged his shoulders and just sort of walked off. <laughs> the point being, of course, that he had not lost face. Now, when I said to one of the community leaders that this was very impressive and I intended to write about it. He said, oh, but you shouldn't tell people in your book that you're going to, that people here get drunk. I said, if you think anyone's going to believe that you have actually managed to eradicate drunkenness in the central Bangkok community, you know, you're not being very realistic. I'm going to have a hard enough time persuading them that you've got rid of your drug problem. But I have plenty of evidence of that. And if I put these two things together, don't you think that this will be very impressive. And he thought for a moment, and he finally agreed, and he said, yes, I think you should do it. And I'm telling you the story because I think it shows also the capacity for reflection. Uh, he certainly didn't feel in any way that you know, I could push him into a position he didn't want to be. Uh, he never hesitates to criticize any mistakes I make in Thai, for example, especially my spelling. Um, so I, you know, I feel very confident that this actually represented a thoughtful response to my defense of what I wanted to do. And this is the point. These people are great negotiators. So they negotiate with each other about the use of space, which gives them a kind of unity in the diversity of their interests, as it were. And in so doing, they are playing a game with the rather calendrical sense of time imposed by the law courts and imposed by the BMA because it's almost been an unconscious process whereby we've almost now arrived at the 20th anniversary 
of the beginning <coughs> of the struggle. So they negotiate space, they buy time, and they talk about negotiation and buying time very much in these terms. They are in many ways a mirror to us as anthropologists. They learn a lot from anthropologists and from other people with kind of social science orientation. The NGO people, many of them have a social science background of some sort. At the same time, everything they say about these things is mediated through the practical experience of trying to calibrate this tiny, really tiny community to a very massive force that wants to eradicate it. The fact that for 19 years it has failed to eradicate it does not mean, of course, that the awful end won't come. It could. But one's hope remains that before we get to that point, they will afford themselves enough time and negotiated enough space, perhaps in a more metaphorical sense this time, for the um, authorities to realize that they have in their hands an example of something that actually could make Thailand quite the envy of many other countries. If the problem of 300 people could be solved, there are slums with historic monuments and 5,000 and 10,000 people in them. Those problems might also be more soluble because the example will already be there. And these communities are all interconnected. When sometimes in Thai university settings, which is a strongly positivistic tradition in Thai social science, somebody will get up and say, so why are you concerned with such a small community? And that's the answer I give them. And the other question that I often get when I finish with this is, how can you possibly be objective if you're so involved in the problems? To which I think the answer, obviously for anthropologists, they don't have to rehearse the answer about the distinction between objectivity and subjectivity and its cultural underpinnings. But the more perhaps interesting way of responding to them is to say, well, you know, if I hadn't been involved, I wouldn't know a great deal of what I know about the community. So are you saying that greater objectivity means fewer data? Oh, no. Thank you. <laughs>